0: You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you. Conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more.
1: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out.
0: Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. This is The Comedian's Comedian and today it's a blast from the past for me, uh, perhaps a blast from the future for you if you are as yet unfamiliar with Finnish comic Tommy Valamies. Um he uh, is absolutely brilliant and uh, this was an this was such a joy. And you can probably hear the sunshine spreading across uh, my face as I just reflect on uh, how lovely it is to reconnect with someone who you've not seen for so long and with whom uh, you shared such an important time. Me and Tommy were open mic acts together many years ago, like 16, 17, 18 years ago um, on the London comedy scene. And uh, he has gone on to wonderful things. He's done over 2000 gigs in eight countries, appearing on television in England, Belgium and Finland. He writes for the top news satires in Finland and his latest show tackles the big topics of religion, politics, racism and homophobia. He also uh, has a wonderful podcast which is called Queer and Dumb uh, and this is their podcast description Trans man Jamie MacDonald answers questions from dumb straight man Tommy Volanis. So, loads to talk about here. In the first half of this episode we'll discuss the journey from graduating business school to launching into comedy. We're going to get into Tommy's analytical and research-focused approach to stand-up and to everything else. And we're going to talk about what it's like performing in Finland with a substantially smaller stand-up circuit. Remember, if you join the Insiders Club on Patreon at patreon.com comcompod, you can watch the full episode and get access to over 16 minutes of bonus features with Tommy, including the cultural influence on Finland from the US and UK scenes, and if viral crowd work clips have yet to hit their shores. Plus, Magic the Gathering, for those that care. And I can't remember, was this off off mic or was it on the show? we talk about how Tommy is in the background of an episode of South Park. If that doesn't crop up in the show, tweet at me at ComComPod, what's this South Park thing, you bastard, and I'll post about it. Um, so with that, with that in mind, here is Tommy Wolovic. Hello. Hello, old uh, friend. How are you? I'm good. How are you, too? I've I've missed you. I've missed you. It's really good to see you. It's it's it is such an extraordinary blast from the past to (laughs) suddenly be back in touch with you since I mean, when we knew each other on the London open mic circuit in what years you were in London for three years, I think Uh, I was in London from 2005 to 2008. And I met
1: you. Almost immediately, because I went to Edinburgh. Did you know there's a festival in August?
0: I've heard of this festival. It sounds good. How did you find it?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So we we were doing the completely random open mics, and we were at the same open mic, where this kind of a scammy guy uh, was doing an hour and a half of a two-hour show. And then we both got like 10 minutes.
0: Oh, my God. I remember the guy. I believe he got busted for tax evasion. So all's well that ends well. <laughs> Let's not name never him, I <laughs> But yeah,
1: I, I met you there, and we were wondering, like, uh, is this typical of the comedy scene that the host does an hour and a half, and then we both do ten?
0: Yes, but we were sort of. Uh, we had just started. I don't know when you started, like two thousand four or five or I something like that. I think four. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's so, and we haven't laid eyes on each other since you left the UK. And in those days, nope. no one really had a website. We used to put our CVs on a site called ComedyCV.co.uk, which would act as a sort of it would, it would function as a kind of multiple website for people that were told they needed a website to send information to bookers. So my point is that we we didn't stay in touch because it wasn't common to stay in touch those days because the internet was so new. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, it was uh, internet uh, 0.0. 0 at that yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and well, I, just to fill the listener in, I have referred to your jokes on several occasions, I would say, over the 12 years of my podcast. The did one you that get I-
1: smacked? <laughs>
0: the the one that I most uh, frequently brutalize um I did I spoke when I spoke to Joe Wilkinson on the Chatterbix podcast. I don't know if you're aware of that podcast. Joe is now you know, very, very successful as a comic and a really interesting comic presence. And he has a podcast with uh, another brilliant comic called David Earl called Chatterbix. I guested it on it and we waxed lyrical about the old days. And we were both, he'll be thrilled that you're on this. He listens to every episode of The Comedians Comedian. Oh, cool. And he'll be thrilled that you're on this. The one I think that I brutalised and I, I believe I was, I did an impression of you. Would you like to hear it? This is, this is me doing an impression of one of your jokes.
1: I would love to hear uh, the worst Finnish exp- uh, impression on the Northern <laughs> Hemisphere. I would love to hear. it.
0: I believe you used to say, my uncle is living the dream. Yeah. He's in a coma. Perfect. <laughs> ten out of ten. No notes. <laughs> you, you were just, you, I remember you dressed in black because you, I think it was because you liked Bill Hicks, but it may have been for similar reasons to Bill Hicks dressing in black. I dressed in black uh, because
1: I grew up overweight. Oh. And, so, and that makes you look slimmer. And then when I was in London, for that time, I was not. But then later on, I regressed to my old habits. But that was the reason I dressed uh, in black. Okay. Because okay. I still have like, the identity of an overweight yes. person.
0: You look like a kind of an an oddball. Is that fair? Yes. Uh, I, I can tell you a bit of the background. Uh, tell I me. Tell the... me a bit. I don't know where to start with this. I'm overjoyed to see you. I'm. I'm. You're so welcome on the podcast, and I Thank want you to talk to you about your comedy, your podcast, where you're at now, all of that stuff. But let's just luxuriate in some reminiscence for a bit.
1: <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, the feedback I got back then uh, was that I'm sort of like distant and weird and foreign. Uh, uh, so I'm not that much that anymore because I have learned human speech. Yeah. <laughs> I I grew up when I was about thirty-five, and I was like, people don't talk like my uncle is living the dream.
0: Yes, well, I think you were you were leaning into your foreignness, right? You were, yes, and and also,
1: I'm... also, I'm an you... oddball in Finland as well. Are you? Yes.
0: In what 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 are your oddball characteristics? What are your traits? that are different to the Finnish mainstream? Uh, the typical ones like overly
1: uh, analytical and not that good at small talk. So okay. I'll be the guy who's at a party and people are having fun and they're talking about all kinds of stuff like sports and whatever. And then I'll just uh, walk in there and interrupt them by talking about computers.
0: Yes. So th- that okay. kind of guy. Okay. And but I...
1: I did lean into the Finnishness when I was over there because
0: i figured it's like a usp unique selling point a hundred percent and uh and you also because you were doing oddball one-liners like unusual one-liners and i i rem- the ones i remember are things like i saw a homeless person and i gave him one penny because i figured it's the least i can do <laughs> that, that kind of thing and you would lean into the kind of the like guess like the challenge of being a one-liner comic, which I am not, but I've nothing but respect for people who bother writing proper jokes and delivering them. Um, but it's almost like the the slow measuring out of your of the words of the joke allow the audience to catch up at exactly the right time. And you were you that made sense to you as a kind of comic persona.
1: And you don't need as much material if
0: you talk slower. <laughs> which is only fair given how much material a one-liner comic needs. Yes, I think that's reasonable. So what brought you? Tell us tell us what brought you to London and where you were in, in your life. I started
1: doing stand-up comedy in 2004 uh, as a lark. I had just graduated from business school and I figured uh, I don't know what to do. The reason I went to business school is that it's not a specific education. It's not, not like now you're a heart surgeon, so you do heart surgery. It's just uh, you do business. So uh, after that, I didn't know what to do. Uh, so I tried all kinds of things, and one of them was stand-up, because people had told me a lot of times in my life that I'm funny. And it was always the situations where I didn't try to be. Okay. Uh, it was the typical situations, like at a high school, you have to do a recital or whatever, and then people just start laughing at me because of my awkward and still-dead persona. So there's uh, it doesn't fix with the serious material. I, I, I remember at a like a geography class, I was talking about like world hunger and famine and people started laughing so much that the uh, teacher was super angry at me. Like he thought oh, I was doing it on purpose.
0: Oh no. so and I was like,
1: in Africa, a lot of people do not have that much. And people just start laughing and that's not appropriate.
0: No, of course. And when you say your persona, do you mean your your personality? You mean you just naturally My spoke? My personality, like
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just my actual personality, my, uh, like I said, overly analytical way of uh, looking at things. Like you said, the joke, uh, I saw a homeless person, so I gave him one penny. I figured it's the least I can do. That's an overly analytical way of looking at what's the least someone can do. So it's the smallest uh, amount of currency. Mm -hmm. So that kind of, uh, then I just tried stand up uh, on a whim and the first gig was great. So I figured I'm going to do this. This is going to be amazing. And then the second gig was terrible. Uh, and I was like, okay, I'm still going to do this. But now I know the realities.
0: Yeah, okay. How how did you apply your analytical? Or how do you remember? It's a long time ago now. How do you remember your analytical approach and how you applied that to stand-up comedy?
1: I read a book uh, that said that, uh, I think it was Jay Sankey's uh, Zen and the Art of Stand-Up Comedy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I figured I'd just learned this from a book like I've learned uh, anything. So it said that the uh, uh, punchline has to be believable and uh, surprising. So uh, I just look at everything like, how can I make the most surprising punchline possible while it is still believable? Okay. So it was sort of like limit testing. Like I have this, uh, I saw these signs everywhere that said, uh, clean up after yourself since your mother does not work here. I would see them in Finland. I would see them in Britain. They were like a thing in the 2000s. I remember them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. they were quite a a popular sign. So I figured what's the best possible punchline for this. So I started the limit testing. Like, what's the most uh, surprising that you see it in space or whatever? But that's not funny because it's not believable. Then I figured what's the most believable that you just see it in some kid's room. And then you just uh, get closer from both uh, sides, like keep making it more, uh, uh, keep trying to keep it surprising while keeping it believable. And the one yes. I ended up with that worked was uh, I saw a sign that, uh, that said clean up after yourself since your mother doesn't work here uh, at an orphanage. And there was like a shred of truth to that because there's so many stories about these absolute worst orphanages in the world. And people could believe that someone might be that cruel, someone who has an orphanage might be that cruel that they put up the site. So that was sort of um uh, the most believable I could make it while still keeping it surprising.
0: I think it's it's really fun that uh, for someone, an analytical person such as yourself, you decided to have a go at stand-up comedy. So you read a book about how to do stand-up comedy, yeah, and then and then started doing stand-up comedy. That's that's very methodical in the way that's, that I think a lot of people might not think not they might not realise there are books about it. They might want to go in radically a different direction and go, "Hey, I'm full of self-belief and piss and wind, and I'm just going to go out and believe in myself." And I appreciate the uh, methodical nature of your approach. That seems in I keeping have,
1: with what I know of you. I have the same approach to sex i've read like books like how do how does uh, how do you do this particular sex act and then there's all kinds of tips and then there's testimonies and whatever and uh, i don't know why other people don't since yes. for some people it's like a mystery like oh i did this and uh, like i would be hanging out with my friends and uh, one of them is like oh i did this and it didn't uh, i don't think it uh, made her happy and i was like did you miss page 36 <laughs> But that's just my approach to most things. Like, there must be a book. There must be a manual. I will learn this.
0: Yes, there's something, quite, um, there's something quite satisfying about the idea of learning from books and the simplicity, I suppose, of recognizing that oneself is simply the latest human being and that all the human beings you've gone before have experienced very many of the same things, learned to do it, and left information on how to do it. That seems Uh, like obvious when you put it like that. Our need
1: to reinvent the wheel is ego. We have to feel like, okay, I've reinvented. A lot of people who start stand up, it takes them about a year to figure out that, okay, there are some, some people have done this before me and I can actually learn from them. And a great uh, part to learn uh, in stand up, you learn a lot of things from uh, mistakes, since uh, mistakes are more memorable. But that's like an evolutionary thing. The negative things are more memorable. Like if you look at the, there's like a news item, and then ten different comments. The most negative one you will remember that one even if the nine are like positive ones so mistakes are easier to remember so stand-up comedians and engineers and whatever learn from their mistakes but they don't have to be your mistakes you can look at other comics see what mistakes they make and then learn from them for your own act like we don't only have like we can stand on the shoulders of giants and losers (laughs)
0: <laughs> can you think why can only you think, giants can you think of an early example of learning from someone else's mistake uh,
1: the two common uh, topics there i don't know if you had like a tv shop television shop where uh, after midnight they sell all these uh, fake products uh, and uh, it's always like uh, uh, they bundle in a lot of things like not only this, but then you also get this and da da da. So people who would stay up late would see. Is this a thing in the UK? Oh, t-
0: like a TV, channel, with TV a shopping, channel, a shopping channel. Yes, gotcha. Understood. Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah. So after like uh, 1 a.m., they start selling those. So sure. uh, those are inherently funny since uh, all the dubbing is so bad and everything. So uh, a lot of comics would do jokes about that and i would look at a night and when the fourth comic does Mm. a joke about that audience starts to revolt uh by listening to podcasts i've learned that in the u.s there have been tinder revolts like when there's a u.s open mic with like 35 comics everyone has three minutes so when the 10th person goes on stage and says so who's on tinder the audience actually revolts and starts shouting like no no no, 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 because it's so, so basically look at what the others are I'm, doing. I'm interested
0: in the 8th and ninth comics that talked about Tinder and the vibe in the audience where they were on the verge of revolt, but the touch paper had not yet been lit. <laughs> the 8th and
1: ninth were able to do it because Americans are, are so tolerant. <laughs> I like your genuine reaction. Uh, they, uh, but yeah, uh, that's uh, one thing. And you can also learn about uh, uh, sequencing uh, the jokes, like someone might have a joke that doesn't work because of what the previous joke worked. And uh, I remember at a London comedy store, a gong show, this uh, person who was doing well, uh, did a joke about uh, being unemployed. And then like a minute later, she did a joke about uh, her current job. Yeah, and someone just shouted from the audience. I thought you were unemployed, mm-hmm. and uh, that just sort of uh it was a mistake. It wasn't my mistake; it was her mistake. But I stood on her shoulders and made a mental note and started seeing like that was an extreme example. You can't say you're unemployed yeah, yeah. and then says you're. That is an extreme example. But I would see factual inaccuracies in other people's like, uh, uh, if you space the jokes out. A bit more if there's like five minutes in between then the audience doesn't remember and then you can have factual inconsistencies with your set but you can't have them right so those would be like two examples of you can look at other people's mistakes if you're really nice you can tell them about them but they don't always see it as you being really nice
0: no, for sure, <laughs> you should probably wait until you're asked. I yes. want to come, I want to come back to some of these early experiences. But I think before yeah. we should do that, before we do that, we should first establish where you are now and what you're up to now. Like, what what happened to you? I, I would like I, I want to follow the thread of what you've been yes. up to since we last saw each other, and before we then come back and get and get further into. I've got lots of questions about joke writing and early gigs okay, and cool. stuff. But I'll, where I'll are you the short now? Version.
1: Uh, yeah, I'll correct. give the short version. Like, I started 2004, 19 years ago. I did one year in Finland, three years in London, and now I've been back in Helsinki for 15 years. Okay. Uh, I am a national a B celebrity. Are like, you?
0: I had yeah. no idea. <laughs>
1: yes, I am a Finnish B celebrity. And a friend of mine, uh, a lot of the comics here, stand up comedy is popular here. So a lot of the comics are A celebrities. So uh, one uh, one of them explained to me the difference between like an A celebrity and B celebrity. And A celebrity, uh, like if a B celebrity goes into a bar and beats someone up, it's newsworthy. Uh, And if an A celebrity goes into a bar, it's newsworthy. So I'm within a beatdown of an A celebrity. (laughs) But yeah, basically, like like a national, uh, so uh, if I'm gigging, uh, around uh, Finland, I'm usually uh, the headliner unless there's like an actual like a name. Then, then gotcha. I'm at. That's okay. where I'm at. Uh, like a circuit regular with yes. occasional uh, TV stuff. And the biggest, um, I ru- I've written for a lot of news parodies over here. Okay, which uh, all of them are directly copied from you or the states. And okay. with some of them we pay money, and with some of them we don't. <laughs> and that's the same thing all around the world. There's these same shows, uh, yeah. same shows. Whether it's like Egypt, Albania, Finland, Norway, the the all the formats are copied. And some there's sometimes they're like, okay, this was copied so much that we actually better buy it.
0: Yes, yes, I see what you mean. I remember growing up with um, whose line is it anyway. Yeah. improv show in the UK and being staggered when I found out that it was literally a carbon copy of an American product.
1: Yes. Uh, yeah. So basically where I'm at with my career, how would you say it? Like a working
0: comic. Yes. Excellent. And the only other uh, Finnish comic I think that I've ever had on the podcast is Ismo. Yes. Who I imagine it's a small enough circuit that you know Ismo. Uh yes, he's a, a huge star. Yes. Um, is he a friend of yours? You can speak freely. If he's not a friend of yours, I'll cut it out.
1: <laughs> you don't have to cut it out. I have a professional respect for him, uh, but we're not exactly on each other's
0: Christmas card lists. Fair enough. Enough said. Um. So I respect in- his ability. Yes, for sure. So how many comics would you say? And I don't know that I can answer this about the UK. I think in in a conversation very recently, I think I estimated there at being something like 2,000 comics in the UK. I've kind of pulled that figure out of the air. You know, I think there are maybe 70 comics who are on TV all the time, and then there's got to be 1,500 to 2,000 who are on the circuit to various degrees. That may not be true, but assuming that's true, what's the equivalent in Finland? Our population is five million,
1: five and a half million. So what's yours? Like 70 or something?
0: You call it 70. I think it's I think it's 60, but that, I haven't checked. You for should a while. be it's more analytical. <laughs> that wouldn't suit me at all. <laughs> so basically,
1: uh, we have slightly less per capita. Uh, working comics, we have 50 plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's kind of hard to draw the line because uh, most people have other products well since the comics don't work during like Monday and Tuesday so it mm-hmm. makes sense to have occasion to adverts or whatever or writing uh, I would say we have fifty plus working comics mm-hmm. uh, at, at least like depending on the definition uh then several hundred uh like semi-professional people who have a uh like a actual day job mm-hmm. Not like a couple day day job, but actual day job and then a never ending sea of uh, open mics. Of course.
0: Some of them stay in the
1: circuit and some of them uh, leave. But uh, yeah, I would say uh, you say if you have like 2000 uh, uh, people who can say that their occupation is uh, comedian, we have about 50. And um, I actually got I I spoke to a producer. And she said that uh, our biggest ticketing service ticket our biggest ticketing service uh, last year sold half a million tickets for stand up.
0: Wow. So
1: every every Finnish person sees one tenth of a stand up live show every year.
0: That's I mean that's incredible. It sounds like uh, Finland has an incredibly healthy, thriving kind of a yes. circuit. Is it the sort yes. of place that um, British or American comics should come to in order to enjoy what comedy was like over here in the nineties. Uh, they they should and they do. There's uh,
1: at uh, Apollo, one of our biggest venues. So they they have the Comedy Store night. So okay. the, uh, there's this Comedy Store, London Comedy Store. I, you've heard of the place? Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs>
0: I thought you. I thought you meant the Apollo Theatre. I see now your dry dry joke. Yes, I have heard of the London. You've heard of the London comedy store. (laughs) Uh,
1: Their acts go around the world playing local comedy stores, and we have like a monthly comedy store night, uh, which is uh, hosted by a Scottish comedian, Ray Zambino, who lives here. Okay, so they already come here, and then uh, like the that's that's like the circuit regulars who come here, and then there's these uh, big, huge acts who do our uh, big culture. Arenas And uh, yeah, they already do. The biggest difference between the British comedy scene and the Finnish comedy scene, like the general vibe, is that we are a lot less cruel. There's a lot less bullying by the people who've made it towards the open mics this was my experience in 2005 2008 and also i've spoken to people on the british and american comedy scenes uh there's a meritocracy which makes a lot of sense since you're Mm -hmm. if you're funny you get a decent position but maybe they wouldn't they don't need to bully like the open mics quite as much as they do So it felt sometimes a bit uh, sick Mm. when I was over there. Like the behavior I I experienced, uh, I don't know how it was you when you started getting like 10 minutes or five minutes at the comedy store or something, I noticed a lot of bullying like me and then I heard from others. If someone did that over here, people would be like, are you all right? Like is everything right with you? Is everything right with you at home? Because that's how, you can't do that in other workplaces. Like if you're at an office workplace and you have sure. like a new new employee there, you teach them, you don't like bully them like in a schoolyard. Like you yeah. are both 15 years old. So that's a big, so I'm talking about 15 years, what it was 15 years ago. And another thing I noticed immediately when I went back home in Finland in 2008 uh, was that uh, something I hadn't noticed when I was in Britain uh, was that the audiences in Britain were quite misogynist. Okay. Uh, I would, at several times, I saw female comics get absolutely horrific treatment
0: from, from audiences.
1: The audience, the audiences, the audiences. Yeah. Uh, like, show us your tits, love.
0: Mm-hmm. I,
1: I heard that several times. And then I, when I spoke to the female comics, they were like, oh, it's uh, they were sort of a, uh, they 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 of course, they recognized the issue, and then they were like, "Oh, I just need to have comeback lines for that." And then I went back to Finland, and the audience didn't do that anymore. And when they didn't do that, anymore, like one guy at one show shouted something, and then they just got thrown out, yeah for shouting like a slur, a slur uh, about a yeah. female sex worker. So they just get thrown out, which should happen in a normal society. So that, yes. that, those are the biggest, uh, it just feels a lot less cruel because it's comedy and people should be having fun. So why should the audiences, why should the British audiences abuse the female comedians? And why should the British circuit regulars abuse the promising open mics? So this is from 15 years ago. This was from before me to, I don't know how it's now.
0: Yes, this is it's really interesting because the, the the stuff you describe, I recognize both of those those tropes. And um and I, I hope I was thinking as you were saying that, I hope that it is a bit like seeing a time capsule from 15 years ago. For I'll sure, for sure, you know, we, we there are huge social justice problems in any industry, let alone one with the lack of regulation that comedy has. I was chatting to someone recently about the phenomenon of um, established acts bullying newer acts. I mean, I didn't, I wouldn't have used the word bullying at the time, and I don't know that I have seen bullying. I've heard about bullying. I don't feel that I was ever bullied myself. But things like um, in the dressing room, you know, the open mic takes one of the beers from the fridge and one of the diehard older comics says, oh, those beers aren't for open mics, in a way that then that becomes that information becomes kind of passed around the open mic circuit. And probably it was just a mean joke or a kind of a, a, like a testing someone to see how they'd react, which is of course in in itself bullying. Um, I, I don't don't think I have that. Yeah. Right. Well, this is it. I mean, I feel like we don't have that anymore, but I'm, I'm less involved in the circuit than I was at the time. I spend less time in, in green rooms these days. And um I hope that that is consigned to the dustbin of history. I certainly can tell you, if you were to return to London, you would be surprised and uh, and impressed, I'm sure, with the proliferation of female comics and the proliferation of comics that are anything other than white men across all of those structures. There are still loads of white men, of course there are, but there is so much more opportunity and uh, respect for people. And there are lots of... You know, bo- gig booking posts on Facebook saying we've got all the white men we need. I'm specifically looking for female, female identifying and non-binary acts for this show. So there's a there's a lot of like there has been a um, I we don't say that posts. out loud. Right. OK,
1: so it's now, okay. I don't know if
0: we're right to say it out, out loud, but I think we're still in a, cor- a corrective period. Like and I was I haven- booking I was booking a show with a friend of mine and we're like,
1: OK, uh, the white male straight quota. Is uh, is done for this show? How do we book the others? Are we like uh, show us a picture of your skin color?
0: Sure. Like, what, what do you like? How do you say it? Like when well, you're done people, with the pe- People that I see, I, I don't I only book one gig myself, and I don't need to make posts about it. But yeah. the posts that I see say it very outright. They say it very nakedly. We're completely filled with white men. We're particularly hoping to hear from female identifying and non-binary or, you know, majority, global majority uh, people. That's and, interesting um, because we don't know how to say that out loud. So it's, yeah. It would sound insane, sort of. Yeah, yeah.
1: That's so maybe that's you are maybe you are further ahead in this
0: because... Well, uh, maybe we had further to, to come from. I mean, I think we've had a, a stand-up comedy culture for longer than you have. And so maybe the bullying yes. was was developed and entrenched in the circuit in the 90s. The and the bullying is a... Ref- I think the bullying the bullying that we've sort of described or touched on there is probably a refre- a reflection of the insecurity of people who've been going twenty years and who feel that their options and opportunities are diminishing due to an influx of you know, wrongly feel that their opportunities are diminishing due to an influx of newer acts. That's probably what makes that happen. And perhaps in Finland, if there haven't been if there hasn't been a 30-year culture of stand-up comedy in with we- those kind of numbers we have the same
1: frustrated feelings that I've been going so long, I should have more, but I just beat up the mirror. Yeah. So that's, uh, that. it hurts, but it's, uh, it's less bad the bullying.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it is, it's really shocking to think about it. I'm sure across all industries and across all kind of periods of time, it's shocking to look back and see what was accepted as you know as as standard practice
1: people in the entertainment the performing arts are especially unprotected and there's so few good uh, worthy spots and everyone is competing for them so uh it uh, reads a ground uh, for like abuse and bullying or something and there's no HR, there's there's no corporate guy you can go to speak to, so you have to have common rules. But but what I said about Finland, that there's less bullying, it's not just, it's the other Nordic countries as well. Like the Swedish Mm -hmm. scene, the Norwegian scene, and the Danish scene that I've seen, haven't been to Iceland yet, but uh, it's it's the same thing. That's a bit of a, like a family. If you go to uh, a family meeting and someone, is being overly mean, then others are just like, are you okay?
0: Yeah, yeah. Is this, Are they? this is kind of reflected, I suppose, do you have uh, progressive prisons in Finland in the way that I associate with Scandinavian countries? Uh, the
1: sentences are quite short, which is something that some people complain about, uh-huh. that people, e- even if it's a tough crime, people get out uh, fairly soon. And there is an emphasis on trying to return people to the society. So when your sentence is starting to end, they do these things, they give you liberties a bit by bit, and then uh, you might get an apartment and uh, you might get like a job or something, but they try to bring, you get psychology counseling. Uh, It's more like helping than just straight up punishment.
0: Yes. And are are you a progressive person in a progressive culture? Do you feel that your your values and principles are more more progressive or the same as the, the government's principles? I'm extremely
1: left-wing. Yeah. So I do uh, shows like during elections. Uh, I do shows for the most left-wing party, the Left Alliance. Okay. Starito, and I'm a member of them. So Finns are quite left-wing compared to especially the English. Yeah. Uh, we're we'd say uh, the Scottish not so much. So the Scottish are fairly left-wing if you look at their uh, policies. So we're quite close to them, I would guess. Uh, Actually, there's this uh, theory that uh, when Scotland finally gets rid of you guys, like finally gets their independence, they actually, the reason they didn't vote for it last time was they didn't want to leave the European Union. That was one of the arguments. So there's a bit of an irony perhaps there. But uh, one day uh, when they... Breakout, Braveheart style. Uh, there's uh, this uh, popular theory that they will become the unofficial sixth Nordic country and join our trade or organization. Oh, so that's whatever. nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they already do some like uh, cooperation with us, but that's uh-huh. uh, quite. And they're closer than Iceland.
0: Yeah. So, right.
1: Okay. So the distance is not a problem, but still. Uh, about your question, yes, I am extremely left wing. I was once a car- candidate for. Uh, the municipal municipal uh, government and it did not go oh, well
0: oh wow tell me about that i've <laughs> never had a candidate on the show before
1: uh, i was maybe a bit too bit too left-wing i did the uh, machine where you uh, write about like they'd give you statements and you say what you think and mm-hmm. i was alone in the corner so uh because they have the uh conservative the values conservative the values liberal so mm-hmm. uh, whenever the value is liberal, I'm like I choose this, and then there's the uh, the money side, like uh, how much services would you give? Would you have more progressive taxation? So so it basically, uh, um, it's a left fairly left wing country, although not always. At this moment, we have a right wing government, like one of the most right wing governments we've ever had. Uh, but uh, uh, in a global sense, Finland mm-hmm. is fired. Um, and i'm uh, on the extreme left
0: okay tell me if it's that is not a thing i hear I, there is someone very close to me a friend outside of comedy who has been going harder and harder left and listens to chapo trap house podcast and that kind of media and it's been like i'm left wing and i sort of enjoy how how kind of all in he's gone on being extremely left wing. But you very rarely, I, I can't think of many people who've said on this show or in my life, I am extremely left wing. What are They're the not kind analytical of... enough? Yeah. <laughs> what are the markers for you of the extremeness of your left wingness? The
1: markers, uh
0: what are the what are the kind of the the milestones when you realize, well, I can't just be left wing anymore. I feel like this, therefore, I must be extremely left wing.
1: When I see left wing policies, and I think you could have gone further, like I wouldn't do things that differently. I would just take them further. If there's progressive taxation that the billionaires and millionaires should pay this kind of tax, uh, I would uh, increase it a bit. And when they uh, try to close like the taxation loopholes, so uh it wouldn't be that easier for people to use that tax havens, which is something that the European Union is trying to do at the moment. So I would be like uh make a harsher law. So it's just a matter of degree. It's not like I wake up with a picture of Karl Marx or something. It's just I would take the numbers uh further. okay, that's not. okay. We're fairly far not, not to moderate your podcast. we're fairly far away from comedy.
0: Yeah, that's quite all right. I'm building. I'm building for the listener a picture cool. of you, and you must trust me, Tommy, to be able I will, to keep you back into the subject in hand. You are one of the handful of people who, in advance, said, "So, can you send me the questions?" And I'm yeah. delighted in telling you, absolutely not.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's just crepes. Yeah, <laughs> but if I had the questions in advance, it would be like learning things from a book.
0: Well, so wouldn't it?
1: That's just how the brain works, yeah. plushcare.com slash weight loss
0: so this is tommy uh you can tell how much fun i'm having talking to him and um uh, he's, he's just such a joy to talk to. Um, he's one of those people who everything he says is either obviously funny or if it isn't funny, you've got to just play it back through your head again to see whether he's being dry and is really funny and you're an idiot. So a great joy to talk to him. Uh, coming up in the second half, we're going to find out how comedy translates from Finnish to English. We'll talk about the Finnish corporate circuit and we're going to talk about Tommy's podcast, Queer and Dumb, the mission of a straight person exploring the queer scene. And at the very end of this episode, there is a moment which I wanted to edit out um, where Tommy says something. uh, Tommy harkens back to a a positive memory he has about me. And I was feeling bashful about it. And I said, let's take it out. And uh, then Susie, our logger, said, no, no, leave it in. It's good. So I am. And I'm just walking away from it, all right? I never normally like to include anything on the podcast whereby anyone says anything nice about me, for some reason. That's just how my mind works. Um, You can watch the full episode. You heard me watch the full episode on video uh, at the Insiders Club. If you're a member of the Insiders Club, you can join for a minimum £3 a month. We have several different tiers. And I will name some of the people from those tiers later on because if you're an Insider producer, or dare I say it, an Insider executive producer like Neil Peters, Hi, boss. Uh, then you get your name read out at the end now, not to mention getting to watch full episodes. So join the Insiders Club on Patreon. It's patreon.com comcompod, or you can find links from stuartgoldsmith.com or indeed comedianscomedian.com. I'm giving you too many options there, but I am de-duplicating. My friend Carl is helping me deduplicate my life and my web presence. And eventually I will just say one thing to you. It'll just be dot. It'll just be go to dot com and receive a simple walkthrough of everything you can do with your life, and then it ends in you subscribing. Yes, that's what we want. So um, that's all coming up. And remember those extras. We're going to talk about Magic the Gathering uh, to a, a small extent because that is what Tommy used to play to a professional level. Has that wet your appetite? Yes, I. Um, it's wet something. That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> and again, I was going to delete that. I don't have time. Uh, my toilet seat has broken And is it possible for the urine of a child to corrode over many years, well over a year, I think we've only had it a year, the metal bracket? Because I don't think I'm weeing on it. And I don't think any of the female members of the household are weeing on it. Um, But the toilet seat has just snapped. And that is a thing, like, I'm going away now, I'm not going to be back till uh, tomorrow, and then I'm away for like five days. And having to, like, you can't not go out and get a replacement toilet seat. Doing that has really smashed my extraordinarily tight schedule for today. But at least I've spent that minute telling you about my toilet seat. Um, Sorry, Tommy. God, I can imagine. Tommy's excited that this episode is going out because he gave me the pleasing information that this podcast is highly regarded in Finland. Hello to Finnish comics and Finnish listeners and uh, those who are both. Um, Hello to you all. I would love to come to Finland sometime. It looks awesome. And Tommy's been sending me some very funny photos of daily life in Finland. Um, But uh, I will apologise to you one more time, Tommy, for talking about my toilet seat. But now I've done it again. So this apology is nothing but a vortex into... (sighs) I'm in a toilet. Oh Christ. Okay. Well, listen. Um we're going to we let's get let's get the hell back to this episode before I make things worse. Um come and see me at uh, the Macanthlet Comedy Festival. I'm doing spoilers there and I've got some other exciting stuff going up that I'm desperate to talk to you about. A lot of it is me and producer Callum behind the scenes. He's co-producing kind of my entire life now and we're simplifying um, deduplicating and changing stuff. I now have a proper mailing list with stuff going on. I've got oh I've got some news that I can't tell you, but I've read a really interesting book about writing a really interesting book, and that has completely turbocharged a project which has been um, just having a little a little hover. Little you know work, a lot of work has been going on, but to to very little tangible benefit. And now I'm feeling very excited about it. This really is post ample stuff. Let's get back to the show. Here's Tommy So talk to me a little more about your comedy and the 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 shape that your comedy takes what does what does a week look like gigging for you in Finland or a month what does what what how many shows are there in your average month and I, I realize you podcast as well and we'll talk about that in, in a moment uh before uh,
1: the corona, I think I did about a uh, hundred to 150 shows uh per year. And I did nothing else. Some of them were like open mics. Okay. So uh, when I I tell this to people that I do like 100 or 250 shows per year, and they're like, oh, that's a lot. It's two to three work days a week, which is less than five, what the actual humans do. But still, that's not all paid gigs. Uh, There's um, some of them are corporates and some of them are club gigs. And I do a lot of uh, open mics. I'm always writing new material and those are usually like the beginning of the week. And that's the Mm -hmm. most most fun I have. Um, After the uh, uh, COVID or like, I don't know if you're past that or whatever, but the numbers have not yet reached uh, that. Okay, But that would be like my
0: two two to three gigs a week. And how many, if any of those are in English? Uh, One
1: tenth, I would say. Okay, I would do like a English show once a month or something,
0: but m- okay. mostly in
1: Finnish. Okay, uh, and how do you feel the? Uh, ex- excuse me, can I tell Go a on. joke in uh, Finnish? Please. Uh, minun setäni elää unelmaa. Hän on koomassa.
0: <laughs> is that is that the end of the joke? I... <laughs> yeah, in, in a coma. I enjoy- oh yeah lovely please now i know what it is please can i uh, can i hear it again
1: uh, minun setäni elää unelmaa hän on
0: koomassa <laughs> I, thank you for the uh, the audio recording won't pick up the little yatta tata that you did with your hands on the punchline tell me then how much of your stuff is tr- translatable how much of your existing finnish material is translatable to english do you is my... there much wordplay or are you just going for funny concepts that you, that are then able to be translated
1: almost everything i write in english is somehow translatable to finnish but not the other way around since when i write in finnish i work with the culture i work with finnish culture like i talk about finnish politicians finnish tv shows finnish traditions so that doesn't uh, really translate but the other way when i write in english i think about generic things so not that much of the finished stuff, Francis, maybe a bit less than
0: half. But that's because of cultural reference points Yes, ra- rather than funny the ideas. Word. I'm really interested in which what ideas are funny. Like, you know, if you see a child excitedly run towards its parent and then fall over and that's kind of a universally funny thing, provided you're confident the child isn't hurt. Do you know what I mean? There are like universally funny tropes a similarity um, between the Finnish
1: and English sense of humor uh, is that uh, both audiences like surreal stuff, like oh, yeah. whimsy. And that's not always the case with the Americans. So I've noticed that the American comedians have a fairly less whimsy or just... Um, uh, can I... Tell an anecdote about dying in front of Chris Rock. Please. Yeah. Uh, Chris, uh, I was doing an open spot at a, at the comedy store. And Chris Rock would uh, come there because he's doing the O2 or whatever. So he wanted to train his thing. So uh, he's he comes backstage and says hi to everyone and introduces. And it's a bit weird when Chris Rock comes to you, like, shaking uh, with the hand extended, like, hi, I'm Chris. I'm like, I am aware of this particular information. Uh, So, told him, hi, I'm Tommy. So, then he started talking to the host. And this is my impersonation of Chris Rock. It's, if possible, even worse than your impersonation of a Finnish person. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. So, Chris Rock was, like, uh, talking to the host. Uh, So, uh, this is the comedy store. Uh, This is the Friday Late Show, right? It should be really easy. Because in uh, uh, New York, the... The Friday Late Show is so easy, my mother could do a spot. Before the host gets to say anything, I interject, me like a three-year-old comic, I interject and say, has your mother done a spot? (laughs) So I tried to be whimsy. I tried to be word, (laughs) I tried to like just, (laughs) because it's what he said, he actually said. That's what my analytical mind heard that his mother could just put extreme silence in the room, just extreme. The, the host face palmed, like actual, like actual physical face palm. That's when I realized this is not good. And then um, Chris had an entourage of about 30 people, uh, 10 of whom were in the comedy store uh, backstage. So it was completely filled, just. It's not the biggest backstage. There were 10 of uh, Chris's entourage. And everyone just staring at me, shaking their head. And Chris was looking at me. Chris stopped, looked at me straight in the eyes and said with an extremely serious voice like he's talking to a child, no, my mother has not done a spot. What I meant was... The Friday late show is so easy. She could do a spot. That was a long time
0: ago. I'm not sure I've recovered still. (laughs) I was really hoping that your next response to Chris was to say, but has she done a spot? (laughs) No, there's,
1: there is a semblance of like self-preservation in there yeah. somewhere. I, managed to find I think
0: sometimes you find yourself in such trouble that the only yes. way out is to double down.
1: That might have been better than what I did, was uh, go home and cry myself to sleep. Oh, Tommy, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, there's not a lot of comics who I think are better than him. So I met my biggest, pretty much my biggest hero, managed to meet them, tried to tell a joke, and embarrass myself in front of everyone. So
0: <laughs> how okay. do you this is this is a, a skip and a jump to a, a slightly different subject, but how do you cope when things go badly in comedy? You as a an analytical person who understands himself, how do you cope with the emotional roller coaster of stand up comedy? I try to
1: find the exact point of uh, the flaw so I can blame, uh, that flaw and, uh, get, uh, better. It's still, uh, in it, it hurts, no matter how analytical you are, it hurts to do bad list. I want people to have a good time. I want there to be some meaning like they have come over here. They've spent money. They have traveled with their feet or their car. They're there to have, and the purpose of the event is for them to have a good time. So then when I do poorly, it is, I have caused a failure in the system. It's like in a factory, one of the machines doesn't work. So that's, uh, that's bad. I've... I feel bad for wasting their time. And I try feverishly to try to find the thing that went wrong, whether it's pacing, the joke, the gestures. Um, uh, I had, a, I had this uh, joke where I said, um, uh, I tried to buy, Trying don't remember my own jokes. Uh, maybe. <laughs> anyway, I had. I had a joke uh, that uh, dealt with um, uh, buying uh, condoms. And it was the sort of like completely harmless joke that worked every time I told it. And then I was doing a corporate and I told it and it completely killed the mood. Because the uh, premise of the joke was that finally at the bar counter, I realized that I should buy a condom since uh, by then I realized I don't want to have kids. As if that's information I only came by at that exact moment. (laughs) I phrased it better back then when I remembered my own material. Uh, But anyway, it completely killed the show. So it was a corporate gig and I couldn't get it working after that. And I was just wondering, is is there something wrong with the joke? And then I spoke to one of the uh, people And they said that uh, their secretary had a miscarriage last week and she had always wanted a kid and everyone, when she got like visibly pregnant, everyone was happy for her. And uh, it it was like a work group of 20 people. Mm -hmm. So I completely destroyed the mood by emphasizing how little of an interest I have in having a kid. So I totally destroyed it. And after that, I was thinking, what can I do about that? Like, should I, whenever I go into a corporate show, should I always ask in advance that can I do my condom joke? Or, I still don't have an answer for that. But it was sort of an example of you can always die for any reason. Yes. Because you can't know the thing.
0: Uh, Oh, one thing that's... Yes, uh, you could do, you you could do my uncle is in a coma. Yeah, but he's living the dream he's in a coma and discover that someone in the room has an uncle in a coma or has, you know, or like the CEO has recently... His child is in a coma. You know, you you can't legislate for absolutely any connection that anyone could make to your material. Anyone, any joke can not only bomb, but totally
1: destroy your set, which is uh, too much information. It's like someone, when a comedian learns that, it's like when someone learns that the universe is vast and cold. Maybe you were better off not knowing that. Uh, I'd say one uh, difference between the Finnish and the uh, British comedy scene: we have a lot of corporates. There's this huge tradition of uh, uh, all the all the cor- pretty much every corporation have a Christmas party and a spring party and a or whatever. So people mm-hmm. get to do corporates all over the world, uh, and uh, they they pay a lot compared to clubs, but they're not like British corporates where you get ten thousand pounds or whatever, and then there's a TV celebrity. Sure. Uh, they're more like uh, if you're good in your third year of comedy, you can do corporates for like 700 euros.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's, I figure that's not the case in like written that like a promising, decent comedian gets to do 700, or what no, is it, I mean, pound
0: gigs. No, I think no one really knows what anyone else goes out for, but I think yeah. you would not be trusted to do a four figure sum, you know, for a corporate. If you didn't have a really convincing track record of success in a variety of circumstances.
1: That's not the case here since the demand is so huge. Yeah. There's so many corporate. It's just like a tradition of either you go to their headquarters or they have uh, bought a place in a restaurant or something and they want some kind of entertainment.
0: Yes. Okay. Okay. So it's kind of like a halfway house kind of uh, between the two states. Yes. Between, between the two different versions. Okay. And if you, if they only
1: took the people with the massive TV hosting uh, resume, they just wouldn't have enough comedians.
0: Yes. I think this is partly what I mean when I wonder whether people from the UK will be thinking, I've got to move to Finland. Because, you know what I mean? It's like, if I, if I say that harkens back to the, the 90s, I think there's an understanding here that comedy used to be a lot easier as a career than it is now.
1: because Because... of a lack of margaret thatcher we have not destroyed our middle class so it's not just like people make little money with comedy or completely insane money but there's a vast middle class of comedians making fairly comfortable money
0: and 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 that's what
1: happens when you don't destroy your middle class
0: what is it that comedy satisfies in you
1: two things one is attention always always wanted attention like as far as i can remember when i was a little kid and the adults were talking I, I needed their attention just always just don't know what creates like a vast my my parents did give me attention like so i don't think i don't know if it's psychological, but it's just so great to be listened to be watched by a lot of people that's uh yeah. get huge kicks like huge dopamine kicks and the other one is that the world is insane and the only way I can make sense of it is with jokes like with a, a global uh, global warming like the beginning of the 2000s, we could have done quite small things to avoid it, but and, and uh, the scientific community knew about it and the corporations knew about it. But they're like, if we do these extremely minor things, next quarter we'll make 5% less profit. So let's destroy our species. That's such an insane thing to do. And that they all did it. All the corporate people did it. And they managed to get scientists, uh, think tanks. And then when the actual scientists tried to tell humans that maybe for 5% next quarter more profit... We shouldn't destroy our species. People are like tree hugger, tree hugger. So that's, that's so crazy. I can't wrap my head around it, but if I change it into a comedy form, then I'm in control and I can make fun of how surreal it is. Yes. Uh, this global warming is the only thing, but just general, how, how we like, uh, treat each other and, uh, We make so much food around the world, and yet we still have famine, and uh, we have so many houses around the world, and we still have homeless. So that that doesn't make any sense. So if I wasn't making jokes, if I was just looking at factual information of the world, I'd go crazy. So it's a defense mechanism.
0: It's a defense mechanism against the kind of bewildering cruelty and chaos of the world. Yes. So that and and getting attention, those are the two reasons I cannot imagine myself doing anything other than comedy. I suppose there is something existential and something, you know, dread laden, something doom laden about the chaos of the world. And the reaction not simply to laugh at it but to make other people laugh at it to make jokes out of it you said that was a means of of taking control of it
1: yes so we can together laugh at the absurdity
0: and is there what is the reflection of that upon your kind of mental health do you do you feel like you have robust mental health are you a happy person
1: Yes. Uh, And uh, there have been stages. Before I started comedy, I wasn't that happy. Like I lived on, even though I was successful in Magic the Gathering, whatever, I lived until a 24 year old not being that happy. And then I started doing comedy and uh, getting, it was so, so good. It felt so, it still feels so good that I got happier. But the moment where I think I actually, I feel happy. And the moment I feel was about five years ago when I started enjoying the the ride. Like, for example, I would always, um, nowadays when I'm on stage, I think about the joke that I'm in. I live in the joke when I... It used to be that I'm always thinking about the same joke. And a lot of comedian and the next joke. A lot of comedians say that they're always thinking about the next joke. And my advice to them is that try thinking about the joke you're in. Like you might find that uh, you do better and that you have more fun. I know it's not the thing you're supposed to do. You're supposed to think, be thinking about the next joke. What do I tell next for this audience? But live in the joke, and off stage. Well, like when I was an open mic in 2007, going to Liverpool, the local chuckle hut or whatever, I would just be thinking, like, how does this advance me? How how do I have to do it this gig so I get the next gig? And so I, get the, I would never be in the moment. So I, I don't think I was maybe the best company. Uh, I was listening to this podcast by Dana Gould, and mm. he said that whenever he meets someone who knew him before he was 30, he just says, sorry. And that hit me a bit too hard. (laughs) I think I became an adult at like 35 or something. So, but anyway, um, I would just be the calm, frigid analytical self, just thinking about how does this advance my business plan of moving along in comedy. But now, what happens is when I go to those clubs, uh, I talk to the open mics and we have a lot of fun. I just learn about their life. I'm like, so what do you do for a living? What is uh tell me about your family or something? And those are those trips are amazing. Just the car rides, they're so much fun. And I just wonder, why didn't I do this before? Well, before I was just like, oh, if I tell the joke number seven a bit better, maybe in a month and a half. I will do better at the Comedy Store Gong show or something like that. Yeah. So living in the moment, it might decrease my efficiency by 5%, but uh, it brings happiness. So yeah, I was fairly unhappy until I started doing comedy. That brought me more happiness, but then self-actualization, like realizing that it's good to live in the moment when I was about 35 years old or something. That's, uh, uh yes, I'm happy.
0: That's a really lovely answer. Thank you, Tommy. That's a really, I'm really fascinated by that. And it ties beautifully back into comedy as a thing, living in the moment, living in the moment of the joke. I can absolutely think of times when I was doing that, times when I forgot to do that, times when I realised I wasn't doing it and faked it. And I also think, you know, we've, we've been going a similar amount of time. And I think that I too missed out on uh friendship opportunities and depth of kind of like I, I feel like in comedy i know lots of people but the kind of you were depth always of my real nice for some of them.
1: Uh, ex- uh, sorry for interrupting you were always real nice i would never get the idea that you're one of those career hogs like you you would never uh no one ever felt like they were wasting your time
0: oh that's wonderful to hear i'm very pleased to hear that
1: And a lot of people, like when you're talking to them, there's this thing about like when you go to Edinburgh and then you're talking to someone, they're looking behind your shoulders all the time. Like, oh, oh, is there a producer or something? Sure, sure. You never did that. Like you would, no one, you made no one feel worthless. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's, that's important to me.
0: That's a really wonderful thing to hear. Thank you. That's just my analytical observation of your human behavior. Let's finish up. I've enjoyed this so much. It's really lovely to see you. I've had a lot of fun. Um, Look, we haven't talked about your podcast. Let's talk briefly about your podcast, which I enjoyed enormously. Although the the branding of it is, uh, it makes me laugh that you position yourself as dumb when we know that this is not the case at all. Tell us us about your podcast. Uh, Can I tell the origin story first? By all means, yeah. Okay, so I did a
1: gig this summer at uh, Pride. And there was this... uh, Uh, a queer feminist comedy night. And I asked to be there. And then the host is like, "Uh, Tommy, do do you have something you wanna tell me? And I'm like, yeah, no, 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 I'm straight. But I can can I be on the bill? And uh, then the host was like, okay, I'll put you on the bill. Not really knowing what to expect. So I wrote a lot of jokes about the patriarchy and how ridiculous it is that since a child, this is one of the insane things. Since I was a kid, I've been told uh, in school and whatever that men are smarter than women, and that's why CEOs are men, and presidents are men, and prime ministers are men. And all I could think of, if men actually are smarter than women, how does it show? Like, have you, Stu, have you seen men? <laughs> Not the brightest bunch. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm doing material now. I shouldn't do material now, but, but anyway, that's the. Uh, I did that kind of jokes, and then I did jokes about how stupid homophobia is and whatever, and it went over gangbusters. It went over really well, so I figured, can this be done more? Like, um, I was a, uh, I was the token straight, mm-hmm. in a queer bill, so I figured, can this be done outside of a comedy show? And Pride is uh, huge in Finland. It's uh, We had 100,000 people last time, and nothing in Helsinki gets 100,000 people. Like, absolutely okay. nothing. So Pride is the single biggest event in Finland. But then the rest of the year, there's there's nothing. Like, the, the queers go to their own podcasts, and uh, then the straights go to their own. Oh, I figured, can this be combined? So I came up with this idea of, like, the queer scene... idiots because there's these books like uh something for idiots and whatever so uh i call it uh, a the person organizing the gig uh uh, jamie mcdonald uh a trans a trans man so i figured jamie let's do this podcast It's called queer and dumb i'll be dumb you'll be queer it's no problem for jamie being queer like he'll do (laughs) he'll do that one for free uh and the idea is that i ask dumb questions like the easiest lgbt questions about whatever is the topic like whether it's pride or whatever uh the title is a bit of a, a clickbait mm-hmm. but it means that i'm asking the dumb questions yes and someone someone was asking me like tommy like it's called queer and dumb but you're not dumb and i consoled them by saying that if you actually want to listen to a podcast where the host is dumb you're spoiled for choice yeah yeah <laughs> To start with Joe Rogan and just go from there, like you will find these particular podcasts. So so basically, that's the idea, to be uh, like an idiot's guide to the, the queer scene where I ask uh, the simplest questions. And uh, I had a lot of fun doing it. I'm not sure why there isn't another similar podcast. I tried to go through the LGBTQIA plus podcast,
0: and I haven't found a similar podcast that's content. interesting yes one of the one of the really interesting things about it because of the positioning of it because it is like an idiot's guide to the queer scene or queer yeah. culture and each episode i've heard th- three of them i think each episode has a sort of a specific thrust to it where you say i want to know about this and i want to explain about i want you to explain to me about this and you have very interesting conversations and jamie's a very funny and Jamie Jamie's presence, brilliant James, yeah. really really good and um he is like he's genuinely answering your questions he's gen- you know what I mean he's I, I felt like I learned something from it I learned something about the Jamie has
1: pride uh, Jamie has zero bullshit Jamie will just answer the question completely honestly and I will ask whatever mm-hmm. so it's um it's this combination that's either gonna make good content or be like a mutual career suicide
0: <laughs> yeah it's well I really I really enjoyed it. I think people should listen to it. I found it funny and Thank interesting. You. I found it funny and interesting. But I think I was going to say I think maybe the reason why there aren't other podcasts like it that I'm aware of either is that it is it is a sort of a, it's a progressive mission of a non-queer person to of a straight person to actually bother finding out and to invest time and energy in exploring another culture like that but not another culture that you know an adjacent and a completely intertwined kind of culture there is a thing called allyship and
1: it's with a lot of minorities not just like the LGBTQI plus minorities but there there's always been allyship i haven't invented anything (laughs) it's just that for some reason this particular podcast doesn't exist yet so I just figured I'm going to make it exist.
0: The inventor of allyship, Tommy Volomir. <laughs> <laughs> Stu, fuck yourself.
1: Hey, <laughs> can I give a, a one shout out? Yes, please. To the level of the Finnish comedy scene and our extreme professionalism. Mm-hmm. Most of your guests I've seen, they've been at their house. I'm in an actual fancy studio. And my sound technician henry lehto has written for four full seasons of the finnish version of have i got news for you wow that's four full seasons has your guest ever had a sound technician this knowledgeable about uh, tv news parodies
0: I don't believe so. And what is particularly thrilling for me, not to detract from his achievement at all, but what's particularly thrilling for me is that you as a guest are the first person ever to shout out their sound technician. And if that isn't allyship, I don't know what is. I love you, (laughs) Stu. I love you, man. Thank you so much. Thank you. We didn't really... I would normally finish on Are You Happy? as you may know, and we've covered that. I suppose... I suppose i i'm just sort of wondering because i like i don't know when i'll see you in person next do you have a particular memory of the scene in that time in london that you not one involving you know, me necessarily but um me necessarily but do you have a kind of a a cherished i always wanted a bit more time of just kind of chewing the fat and we i responsibilities i'm sure you have limited time on your podcast studio but just like, what is what is one of your, I'll come in again. What's one of your favorite memories of the UK comedy scene at that time? We've spoken about some of the negative aspects, some of the the more kind of scammy promoters and what have you. But like, what do you look back upon fondly from that time? It's not one specific memory.
1: It's waking up every single day and knowing there's a gig somewhere where I can learn something by going to watch it. Either I'm performing on the bill or I'm not on the bill. Uh, the amount of talent is just so so huge. And I'm not sure if people know that because Americans are better at self-promotion. So they're better at filling the YouTube, they're never better at billing the Netflixes. But I think you guys should, when I see like a Netflix compilation thing where there's five comedians. I would like, if these people were British, this would be a higher quality. So I, I genuinely think your comedy scene is, even though it's extremely well-known, it's widely underrated. I would uh, recommend people go to London, look at the shows. They're they're really, really good. Not the open mics. The open mics can be horrible. Uh, but like an actual actual page show, they're really, really good. So that that's like a generic. I have one memory about you that really stuck to my mind oh god so you were ho- hosting you were hosting a show and you had just started to get like uh, uh the hosting of like a paid show it was one of your first of those gigs and then uh you do your bit at the beginning and then the opening act who does like uh 20 minutes was uh, a bit of a circuit regular uh i I was like open mic in the middle or whatever. So the opening act, uh, a professional comedian and he, uh, a person of color, and he would go uh, on stage and uh, uh, he's, uh, he's black, and he would do jokes about how Muslim women have the burqa because they're so ugly. He had no, an no, 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 entire bit. Yeah. He mm-hmm. had an entire bit about that. And then you went on after him and it's one of your first like professional hosting and you immediately told to the audience like a public announcement like that joke that the comedian did was not okay uh you cannot say that that's a racist thing that's uh, that's nonsense uh i apologize and the uh, following acts will not be this racist so i just figured that's brave i i wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have had the courage to do that. So do you have, like, a career death wish, or are you the ally?
0: (laughs) Um, Do you remember this incident? I remember the act. I remember... I don't remember the joke, but I remember it being about that. And I don't remember the incident, but I am very pleased to hear it. I suspect... I do remember rather more well than that an earlier incident where something like that had happened and I hadn't said anything and I think I had decided that I'm not going to let that happen again so you saw the second half of the movie (laughs) of that of that moment because there is someone out there who saw me compare a gig where someone said something like that may have been the same person and I was flustered and didn't know how to cope with it and through through to commercial, as they say, you know, I kind of like, you know, brought another act on or what have you. So there'll be someone out there with the opposite, not the opposite of that story, but um, I'm thrilled that you saw that. So God, what I learned yeah, was a couple of things. Jesus. What I learned yeah. was a couple of things that as a white
1: person, you can call out a person of color for being racist. I just didn't know that that's a thing that exists. And uh, then after that, uh, I learned that you can, be career-minded, and have uh, dignity. That you don't have to choose. You don't have to just, say, be silent or whatever. So that stuck to mind as a memory. I've thought about
0: that particular moment a lot. Tommy, if that anecdote was about someone else, I could leave it in. <laughs> I, mean, I can't. I can't round off this episode with you telling a story about me being something like a, a an extremely, you know, that's like a really that's a nice story about a nice thing I did. Who would I be if I it finished was, the podcast with that?
1: <laughs> it was a big moment for me since I learned. It's like I read books, so that was like seeing something happen. Uh, so, uh, a singular anecdote. The you, You're asking me, like, a really nice anecdote that I had in the London comedy scene. And the thing that I enjoyed most was doing a gig in London and doing well. And I had so many of the good shows that I don't remember a singular one. So... I did so well. The jokes were so good that uh, I cannot pick a single. I had a lot of fun in London. I just remember the the bad shows because there were so few of them. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank if, you. If somebody. I had if I had done less brilliant shows, both in brilliance and the amount of the shows in London, I could uh, name one. But there were so many, many, and they were so good that
0: I, no, I can't. That's possible. Thanks, Tony. So that was Tommy. What a joy. What a joy. And thank you. Can I thank Tommy and his brilliant studio tech, who is also a famous comedian in Finland. Um, Thank you so much for uh, really making the effort to, like, hire a studio and have proper gear at your end. Whenever I have to do um, video episodes with people where they are remote or on Zoom or what have you, few people go to that effort. I don't know if I mentioned at the time that when I interviewed wonderful Mike Babiglia, I'd sort of thought to myself well he's got a podcast studio maybe he could sit in it but he sat round the corner from it and uh, recorded on his laptop so there's that important Tommy news before we uh, wrap this episode up Tommy says uh, that he timed this this is this is classic Tommy he's probably read a book about this um, he timed it so that when this podcast goes out he has two episodes uh, he and Jamie have got two episodes with a British guest as the latest ones Travis Glossop a radio and podcast producer has been in Finland for a year due to his relationship with a Finnish woman and episode 12 is him talking about Britain and his youth episode 13 launching Thursday is a mini episode again with Travis where the three of us discuss non-sexual art that makes us horny. This is what you can expect from the Queer and Dumb podcast. Um, We recorded an episode and a mini episode in a row since Jamie is on a vacation now. Efficient use of studio time. Classic Tommy. Um, But he says, but yeah, the first thing that people see when checking out our pod from yours is me talking about feeling a strange sensation as a kid whenever MacGyver or Knight Rider would get tied up. That to me is a recipe for a tremendous amount to enjoy. So do check out the Queer and Dumb podcast. I've listened to a few of them. They're really, really good fun, and you genuinely learn stuff as well. Um, I will do a post at you in just a second. Please uh, find, uh, find Tommy via the Queer and Dumb podcast. He presumably, he is on Twitter and TikTok and all those things, and we'll chuck them in the show notes, but I don't have them at my fingertips. Um, I will, what will he do? Thank you, producer Callum. And remember, you can see my award-winning climate show spoilers at the Leicester Comedy Festival on the 22nd of February at 7pm. Links in the show notes. That one is nearly sold out. It is also at the McCunsliffe Comedy Festival, so go to maccomedyfest.something or other and find out that that uh, has a few tickets still available due to being in a large room. Um, a reminder for you that the Insiders Club is moving to Patreon where you can get full video episodes, extra content now in video as well as audio, including over 16 minutes with Tommy. Uh, <laughs> over 16 minutes. Let's just say... Roughly 16 minutes. Um, I feel like we're upselling 16 minutes with over 16.2 minutes with Toby. With under 17 minutes is another way of saying that. Um, we have exclusive guest announcements and engagement. Engagement? Exclusive guest announcements and engagement. Oh, that's because we've opened community chats, which has been christened and Stu's secret only fans. So if you want access to Stu's secret only fans, you've got to join the Patreon. Um, plus, we have a monthly Stu and A, which is a Q&A with me. <coughs> with a fun title and um, you also get access to the full back catalogue of extras with the new rss feed go to patreon.com slash comcompod for more info thank you so much to our insider producers these are people who have gone in at a particular tier on the patreon they are sam allen jay lucas gary mcclellan dave um that sounded like a double barred name that's two people uh, miles walsh nick wait andrus purdy um, uh, it's I mean he's Estonian, so it's probably Pud. Uh, Caroline Schmidt, Jonathan Stewart, Richard Lucas, Paul Swaddle, James Burry, Ashley Stewart, and Mike Sheldon. And as you can hear, that's an absolute sausage fest. So please, female and female-identifying and potentially non-binary listeners to the show, also. Uh, would you please step up and join the Patreon, okay? Because I'm going to be awkward reading out those, I'm going to say it, pretty white male names. Uh, But a big thank you to our special and very fancy Insider Executive Producer, Neil Peters. Uh, And if you'd like to join that gang, you've got to join it. I think it's £19.99 a month. So if you want to be one of the real swanky guys like Neil and get a big thank you, which I promise from now on will sound less sarcastic, um, then uh, hop over to the Patreon and do that. Um. that's everything so uh, I've been Stuart Goldsmith the show was produced by producer Callum that was Tommy Volumis the show was logged by Susie Lewis and I will post Amble at you in just a second but uh, and if you're new to the show that's where I chat to you for a bit afterwards but that's basically the show finished and now there's a bit on the end <laughs> welcome to the bit on the end um I I've got a couple of things to talk about. Let's start with the sadder thing, which is that Moz passed away. Um, and thank you so much to those of you who got in touch uh, regarding Moz and uh, were kind enough to tweet what a pair of bollocks, though, at me and not just tweet across many social medias. Um, I uh, I don't know what you do. I don't know what the protocol is to honour someone who is a member of the sort of fan community and worked on the show. There's, there's loads of uh, logs in a big archive of this show and uh, several of them bear Moz's name. Um, and I don't know what the official thing is that I say now, um, so I shall just wing this. Uh, you were a good dude, Moz, and I think you, ha, <laughs> it's not my place to do a big thing like this, but listen, I really enjoyed all of the encounters I had with Moz, and, uh, I remember him fondly, and for those of you in the, in the, 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 I mean, can I say fandom? Um, I think it would make him laugh that I'm struggling through this, uh, There was something about the whole of that final uh, show that we did for him. Um, There was something about that which felt... I spoke a little bit about this last time. It it felt peaceful and wonderful and joyful and not sad. It didn't feel sad at all. And it has slightly reconfigured the way I think about death, I think. That has probably got bigger ramifications that I can get into for now. Um, On the subject of... Again, is this is this an appropriate link? I don't know. Die Henwood is coming up on the show. Fabulous, just irrepressible uh, Kiwi who just wants to have a good time. Di Henwood, um, he's very famous in New Zealand, if you are listening from there, and very lovely. I, I spent a really fun... I've got a particular fun memory of uh, walking to get chips with Die after a gig at the Christchurch World Buskers. And um, he is... He is just absolutely radiating peace at the moment because he has stage four bowel cancer and is going to come onto the show and talk to us about his comedy career. And I imagine we will also get into how he manages to be so, from what I I understand from my correspondence and other stuff I've seen from him recently, um, how he manages to just remain kind of peaceful and hopeful and optimistic and really wonderful so those things are going through my mind at the moment I feel like it's one of those you know every so often lots of people seem to either get ill or get very ill or pass away within a short period of time you're like geez this is happening all over the place at the moment and um, uh, I think that uh, the experience I've had with Moz in particular has made me feel very kind of calm about it right i mean not calm in how i stumble through a thing on a podcast not knowing what the proper way to talk about this is what's the most respectful well, you know one of my great things is like oh god i just never want to upset anyone or say the wrong thing and i think when it comes to death i it's one of those things that usually closes me down and makes me stumble and go what am i what's the what's the most is it okay to be respectful <laughs> do you know what i mean i just turn into a jelly um but there we go anyway sayonara moz uh and, uh, that's, that's, uh, yeah. What a pair of bollocks, though, eh? Great lad. Now, other stuff. We have other stuff to talk about as well. Um, I'm very excited about the, um, the... It, my God, having the Patreon all in one place is a joy. Having had, like, just administratively to kind of prune away branches of what I now realise, now that I'm working on the show with producer Callum, um, is, like... The, the show had become over many years, me trying to do 20 jobs and delegate little bits of them and trying to, the whole back end of like using MailChimp and WordPress and PayPal and trying to sellotape together this whole thing. The simplification of it is fabulous. And I just hope that I managed to use that to take a deep breath every so often and enjoy the space uh, rather than using that to go, great, that's done. Now I can fill my time more. But guess which one I'm doing. I've had some really um, fun experiences recently. I'm going to talk to the patron about some of those. I did a gig at the Houses of Parliament, which is deeply eye opening and weird. Um, if you would like to join the, the Insiders Club, you get the chance to submit your questions for a monthly Zoom stew and A. What a fun title though, right? Um, and uh, so you can ask me about that if you like. But one of the other things I will say, and this is I hope this doesn't sound too kind of artful to be talking about this where is the thing I've got a list of things to mention in stuff hello where is it it's there Susie the logger says um I'm I'm going to read some of this verbatim Susie says you know I've been logging what's the sense of that you know (laughs) no you know You know! (laughs) I should have read this first. I should have reread it first. Susie says she's been logging Martin Urbano's audio through uh, this auto-transcription programme that we used this afternoon and curiosity made me look at one of the videos of you both because she obviously works in audio to see who he is because she didn't know of him before. And she's gone from listening with interest, she says, to watching this very same section with a massive grin on my face and chuckling at your interactions. As you know, I love the podcast but there is even more joy in watching it. It's a total delight. So much is lost by not seeing your facial expressions. It's almost... different experience so delighted you're filming these now i think i'd read that out anyway even if there wasn't a genuine financial benefit to me of convincing more of you to uh, using it to convince more of you to support the show on patreon so that you can watch it but that literally never occurred to me this is the real reason i want to read it out is i was completely flawed by that because my experience of watching video episodes of me interviewing someone is that i can't look away from my own stupid smug face nodding and and sort of do you know what i mean i'm just incredibly self-conscious about what my face is doing and uh, i thought that you know i mean obviously there are moments where we cut from them to mine to both to what have you i would be so happy if if it was a video episode of just the guest <laughs> and i was just a shadowy figure in the darkness in the background but apparently it's good so there we go. Um, let me know your your thoughts on that. Um, the ConCon Con Facebook group is uh, still up and running and there's been some very fun stuff in there. Let's just briefly tell you what's been going on in there recently. I've been enjoying this. <laughs> um, Paul Savage made a very funny post uh, that was non-Stew approved uh, showing off about uh, how much he, uh, he... It was a little kind of jokey meme about... Um, the fact that posts, like advertising posts, self-promotional posts, have to be stew-approved to be in the, the Facebook group for ComCon, which remains one of the nicest corners of the internet, if I do say so, so myself. And then uh, I cut it out, put a big red cross over it and reposted it. And then um, uh, Adam Larter, I see, has just posted a Paul Savage-approved approved post about the original meme. So that's fun. There's some book posts in there, which I won't tell you about unless you join, but those have been great. I've been asking people about what you use the podcast for and what have you actually learned from it like what's a tangible thing that you now do differently a result of something you heard on the podcast I would love to hear more of those I've hashtagged them book post so if you're in the, um, the Facebook group you can uh, encounter those um, there is also some really interesting stuff in there there's applications for volunteers at the Secret Welsh Comedy Festival a sarcastic post about uh, street performers by way of a cartoon some people asking about Melbourne um, an argument about a very famous comic uh, uh, using some material we may have heard before it's not an argument but it's something i won't you know let's let's keep it to the facebook group um and uh some other things so basically join there and uh and you can be part of that slightly more extended community if you are unable uh to support the show financially so that's nice as well that'll do me for now um uh yeah that'll do for now i hope that wasn't too big of a gear change from talking about dear moz to talking about the fucking patreon um but uh any any squirming I might do as a result of it, I just think he'd enjoy. Bye bye. Oh, and try and try and maintain a consistent sense of self, will you, for once? Oh, and one more thing. One more thing. Um, have you read the 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 War of Art by Stephen Pressfield? Brilliant quote from it. Brilliant quote from it. I've been thinking about this for forty eight hours now. You are not the problem. The problem is the problem. I I read that and I sat in a cafe. And said it out loud to myself five times with a dazed expression on my face. You are not the problem. The problem is the problem. And then I said it to my wife. and She said, what do you mean? And I was like, oh, I thought it was really obvious. So I'll just talk you through it for 20 seconds. When My, my situation is something that my experience is that when something is going wrong, like I'm running out of time because the toilet seat broke and I'm thinking, fuck, I've got to meet someone in 22 minutes. It's going to take 20 minutes to get there. And I haven't packed for London yet. My feeling is like, oh, God, that's me. I'm a problem. I fucked up again. I'm a piece of shit. Oh, shit. But I'm not. I'm not the problem. The problem is the problem. There's a lateness issue because lots of stuff happened because the toilet the toilet seat was the problem. I'm not the problem. So I don't have to feel bad about it. I just have to hurry up and finish this now. OK, toodles. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?